We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. My good fortune is being your host for this broadcast. What you should also know is I do not do it alone. I do it with one of your friends, one of mine too. It is D2 Dolomite Dave Martinez. Let's get a mic check from him to reassure all of us he is alive and well. D2, welcome. (laughs) Hello, hello. Yes, I am here and I am alive and I am well. Awesome. That is good to hear. Awesome to be together. And today, for good reason, special featured conversation, we have the good fortune of connecting with many, many cool people. That trend continues with Dr. Bo Beard on this episode. Before I give everybody who does not already know him a bit of a sense of what's coming up, thinking about one of his many talents as a coach, you, my friend, are also a talented coach, and you know no rest. You now have details for the upcoming fall run ATL training program. We've been waiting for this for quite some time. Hard to believe we are now ready to start talking about fall training, but let's not delay. Yeah, that's Can you share those details with us? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, we're still in the summer, but we're running the corner where Labor Day is just a few weeks away. And, you know, then we've got the fall and we've got obviously the Thanksgiving Day half marathon, which a lot of people look forward to. So we are offering a free, once again, a free 12 week uh, training program that will start the, you know, starts actually on Labor Day. So the timing is perfect. So if you're running Big Pete Sizzler, you can run and then kick off and continue your training and train up to a uh, half marathon if you like. Or you can just jump on board if you haven't, uh, if you're not signing up, uh, if you're not running a 10K, you can still uh, join in. But it will be a 12-week training program. You will receive uh, a weekly email uh, from me with um you know, kind of what you're supposed to be doing each week and training tips and nutrition tips and things that get you prepared to get you uh, to Thanksgiving Day healthy and uh, fully trained. And that's one of the reasons why I was very in tune to this conversation with Dr. Um, Bo Beard because of kind of his philosophy and the way he kind of approaches things. I really like the way he kind of, uh, you know, looks at the human body and and doesn't apply a one-size-fits-all. So it's one of the things that I would, if we could really meet in person with all these participants and if I could talk to each and one of them, that's kind of the approach that I would take and I try to take um, with anyone that reaches out to me and via email through this training program. So really looking forward to, to doing that and, and, and getting back up to, you know, longer distances and cooler temperatures. Wow, that's awesome. What a connection. I'm glad you pulled that out, D2, because it was a great conversation, and obviously you connected with him coach to coach. I love those details, and I also love the fact this continues to be something we cannot give away on the Run ATL podcast because it is free. So those details are there. Of course, they're available at bigpeachrunningco.com as well. Seek them out. Sign up. It is all free. I can promise you, you get so much for your hard-earned money of $0 and 0 cents. D2, thanks for doing that. And now let's introduce those who do not already know him to Dr. Bo. He has absolutely dedicated his own life to learning, living, and teaching. 
on all aspects of human health and performance. I think that's part of why D2 connected with him so quickly. He's also accrued thousands of hours of education and years of experience as part of the ownership and the leadership team at the farm. For those who are not familiar with that, Farm Chiropractic or Farm Cairo is an easy way to find them online. Check this acronym out. Farm stands for Functional Athletic Rehabilitation and Movement. So as a doctor of chiropractic, he is absolutely in the details of health and performance. He does so in Birmingham, but he is not just a doctor. He is also a speaker one of our guests who does have a TEDx talk that's out there. We'll make that link available on our show notes. He has his own show, The Dr. Bo Show, worth seeing. We'll put that link out there as well. But The Dr. Bo Show very generously shares all kinds of helpful information. We already talked about the fact that he is a coach and, yes, soon to be a published author, part of why this conversation was not just relevant to all of us, but super timely. His book, Age of Movement, is released the last day of this year on December 31st. That book comes out. It's already available for pre-order. We'll make sure how you can get your copy and be one of the first ones in your neighborhood, your workplace, and your family to be able to share that information with others. So Dr. Bo Beard has so much going on. We're going to dive into all of it with him, and we're going to do it very quickly, but not before we take a brief message. Please do not go anywhere. We'll be right back with this important conversation. Running makes you feel good. Running is healthy and good for you. Running can even be therapeutic, but running doesn't define you. You are not a runner, but running gives you life. At Big Peach Running Company, we get it. That's why we are the number one running store for those that don't call themselves a runner. That's why our guests use terms like friendly, thoughtful, attentive to describe us in reviews. Come see us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Like you could tell in our intro, super amped about this episode. When we find someone who has something meaningful to say, we want to share him or her with you. That is the case today. We have Dr. Bo Beard. We talked about who he is, but now let's hear how he sounds. Dr. Bo, thanks for being here. Uh, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on Mike, and excited to kind of just chat about running, but overall human health and, uh, really whatever else we get into. So thanks for having me on. Well, and I think we will get into some things that I have notes on and knowing us, we may also find a a few tangents to track down as well. We'll let it go where it goes. But one of the things that I already appreciate about, appreciate about you is how you appreciate the complexity of the human body. And heck, even before we fired up the microphone, you mentioned that oftentimes there's this tendency, perhaps even societally, to dumb it down or to perhaps bring it down to a level that suggests that anyone can understand. And that's just simply not true. But the good news is we have people like you, people who are called to guide us. So first, let's go back in your own story. What drew you to this complexity and wanting to invest yourself so heavily and learning more for yourself and and obviously now for others? Yeah, I feel like I'm in a bit of an echo chamber this morning. I was writing the prologue to my book, and it was this story. So um, I'm revisiting it in detail. So I've got it. Very cool. It's fresh. I've got it crisp. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I've always been a lifelong, I mean, I was a kid, I was an active kid, right? But then you get into sports, I love being outside and tragically, or, you know, everybody has things that happen, but I had a femur fracture when I was nine, just playing like backyard football. Um, that ended up in a surgery. The surgery didn't have the, the best scenario of physical therapy surrounding it. So I dealt with a lot of issues, unbeknownst to me, we're going to follow me for years to come. Well, that was a, you know, whatever you want to call that divine intervention, fate, whatever it was, um, people were put in my life that helped me out with that issue, a chiropractor that was a previous Olympian. Um, and then that helped my athletic career. And then I got to see at a very early age, the importance of overall human health, but in particular movement. And then I had various friends that went into the chiropractic field. So it was just kind of like I was always surrounded in this bubble of even though my, you know, my immediate family were not very health conscious people. They weren't terribly unhealthy, but I wasn't driven by I didn't have an athlete mom or dad as a role model. I didn't, you know, my siblings were athletes, but nothing major. Um, so it's kind of just these like outside influences slowly kept taking me down the path to be like, you know, um, maybe the, you know, and this is a lot of people's story, the, one of the worst things that happens in your life ends up being the biggest catalyst for what you do the rest of your life. And that's where I'm at now that my mission initially was, uh, I want to make sure that any kid or person that has a big injury doesn't have the same, uh, follow-up scenario that I had, right. That they have every opportunity for the best rehab, physical therapy treatment in the face of anything from an ankle sprain to a major surgery. Um, that, initial mission has changed quite a bit over the years as I think it should, as we evolve as people. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I came from. And I guess that'd be my origin story if I was an X-Men. So there it is. <laughs> Love the origin story. And you did mention your book. Of course, we'll put this in our show notes, but let's not delay what that book is, especially knowing that this is kind of that rightful hype period. It'll be out December 31st, The Age of Movement by Dr. Bo Bird. You mentioned Bo, not too long ago that the simple truth is you were continuously having conversations with clients, with friends, with those who trusted your guidance. And a lot of questions, perhaps even a lot of curiosities continued to come up again and again and again. And instead of just parsing out that information one time after one time after one time, there really should be this opportunity for you and others to have it in one place. And now mm -hmm. you've done that. So recognizing that and knowing that popular questions that you get or curiosities that we have sometimes go unstated or oftentimes the answers are still unknown. So maybe think about some of those most popular questions that drove you to all the hard work that you're putting into this. What is a really popular question, but that you always love to share some of the research and some of the answers you now have. So if I had to kind of take like our top, you know, three or two or three, one of the first ones is just based on what we specialize in. So a lot of people see us as a sports injury clinic, but what we actually, uh, from an educational standpoint, we, I specialize in particular in what we call developmental disorders. So how a child develops normally, right. Can have little disturbances. Well, all of us have that the same things occur when we have an injury. So one of the most common questions we got was, was my kid is not, is my kid normal, but is my kid <laughs> developing normal? Are they moving normal? Are they hitting their milestones? Because, and this is, you know, this goes into some of those, the complex like nature of like our environment, like our environment's much different than it was even two decades ago. So like kids are different organisms than I was as a kid, than you guys mm, were as a kid. Sure. So the, the question of normal comes down to, 
well, what are we pulling from? So that was one of the common themes of like, what's normal? Okay, well, that that's not an easy answer, right? Like, yeah, we can assess and we can say, hey, th this is where it, five years old, they should be able to do X, Y, Z. Well, you know, there's, you know, uh, variance in there. There's also, you know, I don't know what their environment is at home. I don't know, you know, all that stuff. So there's complex uh, natures, but like the, the most intelligent and I think most uh, respected people in the world that deliver information can do what? They can take complex things and make them simple. So it's not that we're trying to make, we're dumbing things down. We're actually creating elegance out of our answers to people. And that's what I'm trying to do in this book is, right, create these elegant answers to these complex scenarios. Another example of that would be something like, uh, let's take a runner, for example. Um, am I running correctly? <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, such a question that we get and like talk about a complex answer that you could, you could just, you know, go talk for days or you could say, you know, running is like a fingerprint and it's very unique to each individual and how that fingerprint is derived is based on a multitude of things. Let's look at a lot of those things and see what we should work on rather than saying, do you run right or wrong? And if there is an even, even a right or wrong. So it's a lot of things like that. And uh, obviously there's some of my personal biases in this book of, you know, there's a little more running in there than there would be other movements just because that's my, you know, uh, activity of choice. But uh, yeah, the best way to sum it up is uh, elegant, simplistic answers to complex questions and scenarios. Well, we're certainly not going to fault you for defaulting maybe more oftentimes than not to running. In fact, we will embrace you for that. I'm actually going to take this opportunity and maybe go on that first tangent. You brought up running form. We have the good fortune of discussing this in all of our stores and D2 as our head coach of our training program, perhaps on too many instances to name even in a month or, or perhaps a quarter. So let's let's talk about running form for just a second. Do you have a couple of sentences or statements that you make pretty frequently to those who you coach or those who come seeking your guidance, because you're right. And I love the fingerprint analogy. That's what we've seen, that there is not always this one form fits all, but there perhaps are some things that we can learn from others who we've coached or who we've been around or who we've learned from ourselves that could have application. What are you seeing, or perhaps what are you saying quite frequently these days to those you care about? Yeah, I mean, one of the common themes, and I, I don't think it's a, it's a bad way to approach it, is like, look at the best in the world, right? What do the best in the world do commonly? So there's these big, um, I always uh, use the term auto stereogram. So do you guys remember the magic eye pictures? So you stare at this like conglomerate of shapes and colors, and if you look at it long enough, an image appears. That's really what we're trying to do with an athlete overall. So if I could kind of like not get too specific, not get too granular, look at how somebody's moving. So if I looked at the best in the world and I looked at, you know, our average runner, maybe a amateur runner, I would want to see these, these broad similarities occur. Right. But then there's a lot of variance, right? Like how many years have you been doing it? What's your body morphology? All these things come into play, but like some of those broad strokes, you know, would be things like, the biggest, this is what the two things I find myself telling people over and over and over, and we're going to talk in terms of injury, because obviously I work in a clinic is, you know, where your tibia is in relation to your foot at impact. That would be one of the biggest ones. And then honestly, asymmetries is the biggest predictor of injury in runners, right? And we're not talking like leg length or something. We're talking mm -hmm. like 
rot torso rotation, um, the amount of reach on like a stance leg, like asymmetries are the biggest predictor. Second would be, is your tibia near perpendicular impact? Like that would be two huge things that we just look at in every runner and say like, these are easy things to work on, whether that's changing ankle mobility, changing your cadence, uh, working on stability to allow you to have greater leg turnover. Like those, again, you're taking complex and trying to distill down to simple, um, not dumbing down, right? Saying, hey, these are very, very important. So let's knock the fundamentals out before we say, hey, are you pushing off your big toe at, you know, toe off phase and really getting peak hip extension and torque? Maybe, but like this other stuff's a little more important first. Well, and the cool thing is nowadays there are ways to do it as someone who doesn't train as an elite athlete or doesn't have all day to spend with those finer points. People like you are putting information out there that we can easily access. There are programs that allow us to have a friend or family member video us, whether it's, you know, running five yards away from them or whether it's at an event that matters to us because it's something we've been training all summer long for. And then we can go back and not only evaluate it ourselves, but talk to someone like you and say, hey, what are you seeing? And what would you suggest just as one little thing perhaps for me to work on now doing that? So if we think about you helping others and giving them something to work on, you mentioned in Age of Movement, the real possibility that comes with all of us saying, we don't want to do this just today or maybe even for a season. In fact, at Big Peach Running Company, we say it's a lifestyle. And in order for it to be a lifestyle, it has to be a lifelong pursuit. So when you think about certain things in the age of movement that are very much intended to give us the confidence and perhaps even the equipment or the know-how to make movement a lifestyle, where would you first start? And then Dr. Bo, I'm going to come to you. What does maybe two or 301 look like if this was talking to you, not as a doctor, but instead as a professor, and you are now teaching that second or third level class. But for starters, in order to do this with durability and longevity, what would you tell us to be thinking of right away? Yeah. And that's, uh, it kind of follows the same theme of like picking out the big points of running gate, right? If you, I'm a huge anthropology and evolution nerd, right? So if you look back and you hearken back to what we did and there, there's, you know, a lot of theories about what drove bipedalism, what drove running, you know, right or wrong, those are theories. Like those aren't proven or unproven wholly, but we can draw points out of there that are very important, right? On average, if people walked six to 10 kilometers a day for hundreds of thousands of years, that's literally now built into our DNA where that can turn on and turn off genes, right? Something as simple as that is making sure you walk and it's as little as 4,400 steps a day, right? So that's mm. one of those like, okay, instead of telling somebody you need to walk your 10,000 steps a day, explaining that we've done this for millennia. It's not a, you know, it's not a hard, fast number. And it doesn't always mean that we have to go out and crush a time trial every day or run 10 miles that like walking is the most human form of movement there is right running is just creating more complexity on top of that so i think the way to build a lifelong practice um and confidence in movement which the confidence in movement's an interesting point and i'll go on a tangent myself on that that that's actually what we're seeing less in youth that, that we see what we call a decreased movement vocabulary right they move less at a younger age the the less you move at a younger age the less you move at an older age. And it's like you, you, you keep dwindling that uh, vocabulary down. So by the time that we're maybe 40, we have, a, you know, it's like we only have A, B, and C. We lost the other letters mm -hmm. of the alphabet. That has 
big, <laughs> big mass effect across a health and lifespan, just not on musculoskeletal health. Um, but going back to how do we actually empower uh, people to make a lifelong practice, it's understanding where you came from and what is normal, right? And then saying that like, there is a big difference between fitness and health. And that's one of my biggest points, right? Some of the fittest people in the world are not very healthy. Now you can be a very healthy person and be fit, but you have to understand these kind of just fundamental principles of which a few are, um, you know, rest is imperative, right? You can't, I mean, we live in a world that's inundated with stress and go, go, go all the time. And stress doesn't just come in the form of your, your run or your workout and stress is all over the place. Um, nutrition rules the roost, right? So even from a movement standpoint, if you don't have the, the things to pull from, from a nutritive standpoint to actually regenerate, rebuild and keep the engine going, doesn't matter. Car, car doesn't go anywhere without fuel. Um, and then beyond that, like find something you enjoy. <laughs> don't be dogmatic, right? Just because you're supposed to lift weights one day a week, walk, you know, two miles every day. And you've been told all these things from, you know, a health practitioner, a guide, a professor, whatever it is, you got to find something you enjoy because if there's no tie to, uh, you know, social behavior, improved emotional outcomes, uh, cognitive displacement, like things like that, like you're not going to do it very long. That's coming from habit research right there. So that would be the 101, the 201 and the 301 as easy as it is. Um, a human needs to be able to extend their movement vocabulary throughout their life. You start as a humans are very different than almost any other mammal in the world. This is a important point to note, right? We don't come out fully formed. If a elk calf gets dropped, um, in Yellowstone park today, it's going to walk. If we come out, we ain't walking for about a year on average, right? There's a lot of pieces to why that occurs, but also realize that we are getting more complex, hopefully every day. And when that complexity starts to dwindle, whether you want to say that's cognitively movement, dietary, uh, social circle, when those start to shrink, your whole life is going to pay a price for that. So again, we could put just the movement piece on that and say, extend your movement vocabulary every day, try new things, have seasons of life where you're not doing the same thing, right? That's where I'm a runner. What's one of the biggest, uh, I would say concerns with runners, they just run all the time. Right now they call it uh, California overtraining syndrome, right? They live in an environment where they can just do the same sport all year. So we see a lot of different injuries there versus a seasonality of like, you know, the Midwest or something like that. So it's variety, extending your vocabulary and finding meaning behind it, whether that's a social circle, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different reasons why they do something, movement, exercise, sport, whatever we want to call that. But like, it has to extend beyond, I know it's healthy and I know I need to move my body. Like there has to be some kind of, uh, you know, some sort of empowerment behind that. That's, that is, that is awesome. That's a masterclass actually, not just a <laughs> 101 to 301. So let me ask you this, given what you just said and with us being runners, and I know we share an affinity for ultra running and some of the other things that would suggest that overtraining is also a lifestyle, even though we know better in that journey that suggests as we go, throwing mileage at it all the time is probably not the answer at least some of the time. 
So what are some of those things if we're talking just to the runners right now, maybe that person who's training for a half marathon this fall for the first time in way too long, perhaps two years, or that person who has just picked up running and maybe even some walking as part of having a little bit more freedom with his or her schedule. What would you say in terms of, well, when do you just throw mileage at it? And when do you have to be more disciplined to say mileage has a role, but so do these other things and what are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And there's two big points to draw out of that, that, you know, it, it has become even more popular. It, we kind of, you know, everything goes through cycles, you know, and running's one of those, right? We Lydiard method and all these things came out high mileage because it had success. And then we started seeing, well, maybe we need more threshold tempo interval. And then it's kind of coming back because the ultra, right? The popularity is like, well, the more mileage actually has better outcomes. But here's a very interesting data point, And this is research driven that mileage is the biggest predictor of injury in amateur runners, but the biggest predictor of success in non-amateur runners. So you take the same factor and you put it in two different uh, population groups and you get totally wildly different outcomes. Um, so then, then we have to say, well, what determines an amateur and a, you know, maybe a semi-elite? You know, that's the harder piece, right? That's obviously the amount of time you've been doing it, proficiency. I mean, I know runners that have been running for 20 years and, you know, I would have to throw them in the less elite category because they keep getting beat up and that could be for a variety of reasons, but their training cycle is always broken. So, right. It doesn't seem like they get to where they should be, which that brings us to the second point beyond mileage is the mechanical efficiency of the human trumps the aerobic engine. Even though I said that you have to have the aerobic engine to start working on the mechanical efficiency. But I think, let me clarify that. I think we were lured into the concept of you need a big aerobic base to then start working on the finer points, right? Threshold, tempo, speed work, things like that. What we're actually finding is you have to build the mechanical efficiency through things like VO2 max intervals, um, building good running mechanics, neuromuscular efficiency while you build that aerobic engine, and then you can start stacking more volume on it. So sometimes we, you know, it's just like, Hey, slowly titrate your running volume up. Well, it's like, you may have much less volume actually at a little higher intensities than you think up front, which stacks some aerobic base. And I'm doing air quotes because that's a definition is, you know, that's a broad based definition for some people. Um, but when we do it that way, we see far less injuries, but you can also train for an event with far less volume and still get a really good outcome, right? Which volume, if we're going to say it's the biggest predictor of injury in amateurs, that's the toughest thing for coaches. And you guys know, this is like, where do we hit that threshold with that individual, right? Mm. That 60 miles a week, they just fall off the chains. And then what is that other lifestyle factors, lack of cross training, old injuries coming, you know, surfacing things like that. But that's, that's all of our plights as runners is where's our threshold and how do we determine like how much volume and how much other things we actually need to be doing. Let me ask you this out of a, maybe a personal curiosity. We talked about you and your wife founding the farm. One of my favorite acronyms of all time, the way you guys did that very creative, very well, <laughs> well done. So looking at what is now at least theorized and to some degree that we could say, at retail, we're seeing, we're seeing many new entrants into, you know, what we call the pedestrian active lifestyle, which is awesome. I mean, this is a really unique opportunity for us, not just as a business, but quite frankly, we have a mission, you know, we say to grow, to support and to enhance the pedestrian active lifestyle. And this is that time where that mission field is quite frankly, maybe more ripe than ever before to do the work that we've been called to do. 
you're in a similar situation. Are you seeing different volume in certain concerns or areas of discomfort or even injuries than what you were pre-pandemic? And if so, for those who are different, because we just are, are now having the good fortune of serving what some would say is a lower caliber athlete, mm-hmm. that percentage of person who was training for the AJC Peachtree Road Race or was going back to do the turkey trot on Thanksgiving is just less. And that's awesome, right? For a lot of reasons. Maybe someday they'll decide to do Peachtree or they'll bite off a full marathon or whatever. And great, we'll be there to cheer them on the whole way. But right now, just wanting to say, well, listen, if I'm going to be at home when I decide to finally close the laptop, why would I not do something productive with the 45 or maybe 90 minutes I get back because mm-hmm. I don't have to knuckle drag through a commute and I decided I'm going to use that as a way to walk or do a little bit of jogging or a run walk. I was like, awesome, let's do that. But it does open up the possibility for different conversations. What about with you and your team in Birmingham, but quite frankly, in the way you serve? Yeah. So obviously during the pandemic, we saw a whole host of issues specific to that, right? People were sitting a lot more at home offices and things like that. And then if you were a current athlete, right, say I was already running, but now I'm at home and you would think, well, they were already sitting at work. Yeah. But now these are people that are literally getting out of bed, still in their pajamas, sitting at a desk, and maybe they work for five hours and then they go run, right? Because they can smash all their workload into like four or five hours, just like our homeschooled students at that point, And then they have the rest of the day. So we saw some different issues off that, but uh, getting to your, your point of like, now we have maybe not a different set of people entering, but um, everybody's kind of coming at it at a different way is how I'd see it is one of the bigger things um, is people in general do far less than they even did 10 years ago, right? Just general movement. So like, even if we're saying, okay, you still worked in an office, you went, you commuted there, all these things. We see a lot of people getting into things that now they're picking goals. What, because in my opinion, it's become popular to be a competitor rather than um, doing things for the health benefit, right? The, The competitive, like, it's almost like you have to do a race. You have to train for a triathlon. You Otherwise, there's no driver. And right. I love part of that. Obviously, I do that. A lot of my patients, that's their driver to keep them going. But at the same token, when you get somebody that's uh, traded maybe 20 years of their life for career and they've let health and movement and things slide to get to that place. And now something like COVID hits and they're like, man, I have far more time. Right. I was a I was a executive and now I've got three hours of my day back. Or I have enough money in the bank that now I have, a, you know, two days a week back and I'm going to start training. <laughs> There's a, hopefully a stepwise fashion to getting you to running that 5k rather than just couch to 5k, right? Like, do you have, can you stand on one leg in balance? Do you, do you have an ankle, right? Do your ankles move like ankles? Do your hips move like hips somewhat? We're not looking for perfection, just, you know, a modicum of like normal. So when we go out and run that even maybe run walk program that we don't immediately run into, well, I'm running into a musculoskeletal injury because of how I move, or I'm not even aerobically fit enough to maintain that three miles of running to the point where then I run into another issue based on that, which gets us into the really, I think the only two drivers of injury from an endurance athlete standpoint is like mechanical efficiency or overload, or you don't have enough fuel or you can't optimize your usage of the fuel well enough to keep the engine running like it should. And then you see those both meet in the middle with 
you know, tendinopathy, stress fractures, whatever you want, you know, label you want to put on them. But yeah, that post COVID or I guess still COVID and maybe resurfacing COVID, <laughs> um, plight or scenario is going to turn more into what we as coaches or practitioners see our people less hand, like face to face. We have to become far more adept at feedback loops. And that's, I think what we really lack nowadays is like awareness of our body how we feel, how we dictate that to others. And I think that's what I try to help people out with a lot is like, do you feel like you should go run three miles today? You don't always, and sometimes you want to push, but like you need those feedback loops, right? And then if you're not seeing somebody and you're not watching them run and you're like, hey, this workout's not great. Like, you know, that's like part of the art of like helping people is understanding like you need to meet them where they're at. And that it has so many factors to do with just that one run versus the whole training cycle to get to that 5K or that marathon man that's awesome go back and listen to that there is some gold in what he just said but now i am going to take us in a direction that quite frankly i was super excited about even before talking about these things that i know have direct application and in 2019 you did a tedx talk that quite frankly for me was fascinating i know we've had everything from anthropologists to movement experts to those who are certainly enthusiastic about the environment on this show, in our store, and and just in personal conversation. But you have distilled it into maybe an art form of connecting what is truly, and I'm going to take this right off of your website, Bo, the symbiotic relationship between health and the environment. And, you know, you go on to encourage us to reflect on how we as individuals and as societies can shape the world around us. And without expecting you to have that TED talk memorized and me to hit the mute button and you just to redo it, I would love <laughs> Please to. Please no. <laughs> I'm already getting like sweaty palms thinking about it. So. Well, what I would love to be able to do for our audience and for me as a selfish indulgence is to pull out or have you share with us some of the framework or maybe your outline for that talk and, and why it was not only such important information for others to hear, but quite why it was so important probably to you personally to share it. Well, we just, or I just said, you know, one of the things I, as humans that I think we lack nowadays is awareness, right? Because our attention's diverted. So it took me being kind of slapped in the face with the story I tell in that TED talk of like realizing my own follies of like not paying attention to some of my own environment, my health a little bit, but also the environment on a whole. I was raised in small town, middle America. That's not... That doesn't give me a scapegoat, but some of the things I should have been aware of or concerned about just were never brought to my attention. And it took me, you know, uh, moving to a beautiful place like Alaska, becoming a little more entwined with uh, the environment on a larger scale, and then realizing how I like to enjoy that. And then some of the things that were occurring. And then, you know, I'm just a, uh, I'm the guy that can sit there and think about something for three hours. So if you think long enough in anything, you start to connect the dots a little bit. And my, my big thing was, and we talked about this a little bit before the show started, like, especially nowadays, if you looked at the news cycle, if you read anything, it seems like all of the issues we're facing are far too large for any of us to have an impact. Right. And some of us are just humanitarians or philanthropists. And we're like, I'm going to do what I can throw money at it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to recycle. I'm going to, you know, follow regenerative farming, whatever it is. But I think the 
the thing that I would encourage people to do, and this is my own theory, right? So this isn't backed by science. This isn't a proven methodology is if we had more humans and this sounds selfish, but um, if you've ever listened to, um, oh gosh, uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, when he's talking about doing like the selfish thing for the greater good, right? And he probably words it a lot better than I do. Like if we had more healthy humans, what it takes to be healthy is usually, um, that's a big usually, is healthy for the environment. Obviously, that's not just a, a panacea of that always works. But if I'm a healthy individual, more than likely, I have, I take care of myself, which means I exercise, I probably eat well. Now I could make food choices that will change that, right? Just I could, you know, buy from a local farmer that is an organic farmer or buy from large farmer or a large, you know, uh, monocrop farmer, like things like that matter. And I could still be healthy. Um, but when we start thinking about, I just think of us like a Russian nesting doll, right? We're at the center. There's all of these layers outside of us, literally to the environment on large, right? And then however far you want to take that. But if I, what you see, and I talk about this, uh, or this was one of my initial ideas for the Ted talk. My father lives about an hour North of me in Alabama in a very small, I don't, I don't even think it's a town. It's a township of 400 people. You take a left off the highway and it, literally looks like somebody opened trash bags and just let it fly. Now, the correlation there is what? We're in one of the most unhealthy states in the union. We're always second to last or last. It's Mississippi and us vying for the last spot, right? Um, when you go to these subsets of the more rural networks, and there's a lot of reasons for this, you're going to see obesity, all of the common plights of the CDC top 10 killers, obesity, heart disease, stroke are very high. But layered around that is what? Littering, lack of attention to the environment, agricultural runoff. So you see these things run side by side. And then you have to ask, you know, are these systemic issues? The reason these people aren't healthy because the system sets them up for that? Or are they contributing to the lack of the health of the system? That's an impossible question to answer, right? It's a little bit of both, obviously. But that's where I was going with this whole talk that like, if I make choices in my personal life, that has a ripple effect. And if everybody made those personal choices, the now overwhelmingly huge daunting issues shrink down to a personal sized uh, solution. And I think that's the only way you get there. Obviously we need policy change and systemic change, but those are also changed by what? People, not changed by an, yeah, an idea changes it, but an idea takes people to put that idea into action. So that was the whole thing is like, start with yourself, you know, the, the talk is called environmental reflection. Like, Hey, reflect on what you do each day. What environment do you live in? That's your, your home, your workplace, your family. Uh, you know, I live in Birmingham. I live in Alabama. I live in the U S I live in the world. Like it's these layers moving out from yourself. And then all of a sudden, um, you don't feel like when you turn on the news that it's just like, well, we're all doomed. I'm just going to kind of shove that under the rug. Like just keep making those personal improvements. And hopefully that has a trickle or a ripple effect out from you. That's awesome. And you talked about ideas and action. You talk about, you know, knowledge being only so good as the action that it produces. Are there some things that here as we sit in the midst of a pandemic in 2021 that you would say are, are simple steps or perhaps it's me giving you not only permission, but perhaps an audience and maybe even an audience with applause to stand on your soapbox and say, just think about these one or two things. And maybe you can start this afternoon or tomorrow. What would those things be? So if you look at all of the 
epidemiological data on uh, longevity and health, right? In particular, in blue zones and things like that. It's not diet. It's not movement. It's not spirituality that tops the list. It's what? It's social relationships. And it's actually relationships outside of your family. That that is the biggest predictor of longevity, but also years filled with uh, contentment, right? Or purpose that like people that have social relationships. So we're in a time of a pandemic or were when it was very isolated, maybe moving back into it. But either way, I mean, we're sitting here talking via computer, right? So then we have to have the discussion, is this truly social interaction or not? There's some of the things that as a human, we miss out on this, right? Like, uh, interesting note, if I can't see how your feet move, I don't really know if you're telling the truth or not. That's just an interesting note. So then is there some kind of like wall that I'm going to put up and you'll put up even though we're, you know, making eye contact via camera that we're like, I don't know if I really know what Mike's talking about. And then it were, so then I would say, first of all, and this could get into running, right? (laughs) Go do something healthy, right? Move your body with a group of people. Um, go read a book, you know, book group, whatever it is. Social behavior is absolutely huge. That's one of the reasons humans have been able to adapt. And if you want to say conquer the world is social cooperation. So that is absolutely key to our health. So if you feel isolated or your, your circle is shrunk even more due to the times that we're in, you know, I would push to expand that circle to layer on top of that. Like I said, I would, I would push to make that social interaction, have some physical aspect to it. Physical movement in isolation has far less health benefit than physical action or movement with groups. And that is also data-driven, which is an interesting concept, right? You would think, well, our physiology is all the same. Why would running with Mike and Dave change my interaction? (laughs) It's how we're built, right? Your DNA turns on and turns off certain things when I'm with people versus by myself. I release different cascades of neurochemicals, endorphins and dopamine when I'm with other people. So again, I love running by myself. That's kind of my meditation time, right? I hit a trail, I'm on single track. You give me two hours, I come back a different person. I do come back a different person, but if that's the only thing I do, I'm also not really getting the benefits I should from running and having a social circle. If you can combine those two, again, having that kind of mass cross effect, I mean, that's the biggest thing in the world to me. And I mean, that's, if you just had to sum the book that I'm writing up in a, a couple sentences, it would be like, I believe human movement is at the absolute center of health, right? Absolute center because everything's a movement communication, right? Me moving my hands and my mouth and my tongue and pushing air through my, like, that's a movement, right? The ability to interact with you is a, a movement, a dance between people exercise, obviously, but like the blood, the air moving through my body, like that's what we need to understand is like when you reduce movement and you can take this as conceptual or as literal as you want, that if I sit in this chair all day, things change. If I get out of the chair, a lot of things change for the good, hopefully. And that's just the book, right? And I try to explain that in uh, science-based manner, anecdotal uh, examples, but then also a little bit of postulation and hypothesis. Wow. Very cool. Again, the book is The Age of Movement. It will be out in time for the new year, right around December 31st. Certainly, we'll hope to have Dr. Bo Beard back. Perhaps we'll even do one of our famous book giveaways. So that is something to look forward to for next year. And yet, we're not going to let you off the hook. We're going to do just a quick lightning round of questions so you can further regale us with some things that you've learned or thought along the way. And then we'll take a brief break, but not before you consider these three things, Dr. Beard. First of all, some good advice 
that you've been given or that you've remembered for a long time? What is it and from where did it come? Uh, so I believe I put this up as a quote and whether my mom was the only one to ever say it or not, um, is basically everything's your fault, right? Like, oh. I mean, that's way harder <laughs> to put into practice, even if you're like, yeah, I know, I know. Um, everything's your fault. As soon as that cuts, like that literally cuts the head off the snake on everything, right? It just does. Um, much harder to own up to, but I also believe that's if we had to talk again, I'm like, you can see that I'm always going big picture. If you had to talk about a big societal thing, I think that's one of the things that if we implemented that and said, you know, it's not like we're blaming like, Hey, it's your fault. Like just take ownership regardless. Even if you know, it's not your fault, say it is you'll do what it's a catalyst to change. And I think that's what that piece of advice gave me. That's awesome. We've said whether it's a simple training mistake or a life regret, the truth is the common attendee to that mistake or that regret is yourself. That is the one who's always there. So just take that and listen to what Dr. Bell just said, because it's true. Okay. Secondly, if we think about this interesting season that we're still slogging our way through, perhaps getting some good from, and certainly plenty of pain and tragedy around us, what is that one thing that is maybe different about you or that you've put into the future that might be different about why you're doing something that is a result of the last couple of years. Yeah, this is, uh, it's actually, I pulled this from going through the Ted talk process. So one of their things is, Hey, you have to connect on a local level because these are TEDx events, right? The X is the marks, the spot. So it has to connect locally, but you also have to connect globally. So that's when I realized, okay, if it's COVID and I'm going to be doing a lot more videos and social media and, you know, that's how I'm going to educate because I can't have as much interaction with my patients. I have to make sure that I'm not just speaking to a runner, right? That I'm not just speaking on an issue that like we should always be my goal, I guess, uh, which this is one of those, I'm sure you guys have these moments when you're talking about something, you realize that you're explaining it to yourself that like, if I'm explaining Mike's knee issue, I don't want to explain that in terms where he not only understands his knee issue, but now he understands how his body works a little bit better overall. Oh, I have this knee issue because of X, Y, Z. Well, that may apply to your elbow, your shoulder. <laughs> it's not just, I have this knee injury that's so specific. And I think that's what I was trying to do is connect on a broader base instead of just hitting one off, like, Hey, this is fixing your ankle. Hey, this is talking about a supplement. Um, but also trying to make that outside of, healthy people outside of athletes, right? Outside of people in the U S that's a, that's a really hard thing to do. And I'm not saying I'm doing it well by any means, but that would be my goal. Um, especially moving forward. Wow. Really, really cool. Okay. Last one. I'm going to set the scene for you. You are at Oak mountain. I believe that is one of the places I've run ultra races in and around Birmingham. And with what you just said about us being perhaps social creatures and needing that to maximize who we are, you get a chance to go for that trail run with anyone you would like to alive or perhaps not alive for that two hour. The meditation process is off limits for the day because today it's a conversational pace with whom and why hmm. did you choose that person Man. to join you at Oak mountain for that 120 minute conversational pace trail run. That's a, I'm sure, uh, like a really common answer on here would be somebody like Prefontaine or something. So I'm trying to deflect <laughs> from that. Um, honestly, like if I had to choose right now, like I think living, it would probably be somebody like Killian Jornet. 
just because mm. I think how that guy was raised, like if you had to pick how to raise an athlete without training an athlete, that's who it would be. So just to like, and I've heard his story, read his books, but like to just talk to him, because I also think he's a very deep thinker about a lot of the same stuff that I think about. So that's the other reason is like, I think we could like jive on some of that stuff, but I just, I mean, if I could raise my kid in such a manner where they fell in love with something that just happened to be that whatever it is, like his is the outdoors and athletic endeavors, but whatever it is where it doesn't seem, uh, contrived, right? Like it just seemed like this was his life, but it became this like love affair. And then he's the best in the world at it. I don't think that's just happenstance either. Right. I think like that was a very, um, his mom didn't plan on him being the best ultra runner in the world. If you want to call him that, but like very deliberate in what she was trying to do with her children. And I really appreciate that. And I'd like to pick his brain on like, what'd you do since I have a 16 month old daughter. So I can like take some of that advice into practice. That's awesome. We'll put something on Killian in our show notes as well. For those of you who have not heard that name before, I can tell you that if I was going on a run with Killian, it would have to be at my conversational pace, <laughs> not his in order for it to be worthwhile. He is Dr. Bo Beard. You'll find this in our show notes, but if you cannot wait for those, go to Bo, B-E-A-U, beard.com. So much good stuff there. Also go to Cairo, C-H-I, rofarm.com more good stuff and certainly a lot of the stuff that we talked about today as well as the incredibly high quality work he's putting in the world you'll find on those two websites again don't forget the age of movement that comes out on december 31st obviously d2 and i'll keep you apprised of that and you'll learn more as we go certainly dr bow we appreciate your time and all of your energy for what you do to help all of us get better thanks for being part of this Thank you guys so much. I'm uh, I'm really excited. I need to stop by the store sometimes and uh, bring you guys some coffee and chat. I think we could have some really long conversations. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'd have to cap our our time limit there. But yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, it's our pleasure. Coffee or a run with conversation. That's our thing, too. So we'll look forward to that next time you're in the ATL. In the meantime, we're going to take a brief break. Please do not go anywhere. We'll be right back after this message. At Big Peach Running Company, we take pride in listening to your needs. We take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCo.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Super cool conversation. Super cool dude, D2, like you, Coach Beard, Dr. Beard, Dr. Bo Beard, a very fun person to sit down and talk with, knows so much and is so willing to share it with others. What did you take from that, even beyond that coaching connection that y'all share? Well, I mean, I liked his approach as, as, as to staying active and, 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 and moving. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I you know, over the last couple of years, I've been very uh, a proponent of just, you know, standing desk and not sitting down. You know, I, I, right now, as I'm recording this, I'm, you know, standing at a kitchen counter because that's my standing desk in my apartment. Um, you know, and, and it, the goal is that when I move into my house, that I will have an actual real standing desk. Um, because I, I do think that that helps with that movement and, you know, 
you know, whether, you know, just walking around, um, you know, keeping things loose and limber. Um, I think that's important. And the, the part that really you know, struck me and I was like, oh man, that's such a genius idea. Uh, you know, um, and maybe it's not, maybe it's, you know, something I've never heard of, but to be a, a doctor of, of, you know, a chiropractor and then say, someone that understands how the human body moves and the skeletal muscles and everything else works and say, now we're going to take what we know and apply it to training where typically most coaches, myself included, you know, will focus more on the aspects of training and then maybe pick up a few things about human, you know, you know, movement and anatomy and, and, and injuries and stuff, but it's not an area of expertise. Typically we'll do what we can to diagnose and then refer to someone else. So I think that's a unique concept that you take someone that's kind of an all one approach. And I think, you know, I'd be interested, you know, once this book comes out and we, you know, and we can have him back on, really find, you know, a little bit of kind of like what kind of success he's had, you know, and, and talk to maybe, you know, to some cases where he's able to talk about individual and the success that they've had, because I do think that, you know, year after year, we see people that are constantly getting injured and it's, you know, you know, a blanket kind of approach to training, or it's a very kind of go, 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 get them, no pain, no gain type of approach. And I do feel that training programs should be individualized. But it's kind of hard to do when you're doing kind of a mass type of approach, like like what we're trying to do. So I do uh, and always encourage people to reach out to me, and I'll customize the program based on you know their needs, their schedule, their requirements, um, or any issues that they're having. And happy to meet with them one on one. But it is one of those things that's very difficult to do when you're trying to offer a free type of approach, you know, across uh, everyone. So it's one of the things that I've learned and kind of picked up from them um, that everything is individual. That it starts with a base foundation kind of looking, you know, at everyone individually uh, and trying to see those commonalities um, that you're trying. You can't focus and fix everyone's, you know, stride, but there's some things there that you can focus on that can improve and create a, a building base um, to improve someone's performance. Dude, that's awesome. And especially with your generousness with, with your time, although I have to admit you just shamed me by <laughs> referencing your standing desk. For those who wouldn't have guessed this already, we have taped this episode virtually. We can see each other on screens. I did not know D2 was standing. I was sitting, maybe even slouching. But now I have stood up just to try to keep pace with my friend. So you shamed me and out of the chair. Hopefully this is going to pay some kind of dividend, even if just for the next couple of minutes. But I will tell you, I am super energetic, whether I am standing or sitting right now, because there is just so much going on. And you obviously have been part of every bit of it. You're hyper involved in the success of anything that we might be attempting to do and any relative success we might actually have. We're coming off a very fun weekend. We did finally and officially launch our ride and run concept in town Brookhaven had a very cool partners party with a lot of our supplier partners and some others on the Friday that has gone by on Saturday, we got to selling bikes and talking about bicycles and having conversations with people who we maybe have not had in our store previously or have had not, have not had those kinds of conversations. And you participated in our first ever group ride. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, 
Thank you to everyone that ca- that came out. I mean, we had mm-hmm. over 40 uh, runners that came out for uh, at 8 a.m. to go out to run. And then some of them actually came back from running and then got changed and went out on the bike ride as well. So we had another 40 people. So we had anywhere from 80 to maybe even 100 people combined that came out to the run so and, and the ride. So that was cool to see and witness and to ride with all those uh, individuals and got questions about, you know, the, the, the kit that I had designed. People were, uh, you know, uh, excited about that yeah it does look good and they were you know you know we'll get them in stores and we'll obviously let everyone know when they do become available um but there was uh so that was great feedback from that i'm glad that that was a hit and uh, we'll get those so we can you know start seeing those out on the road um so that was that was a lot of fun i do think that you know we are as as you mentioned mike we, we are planning other things and i do think we are looking kind of uh looking forward and uh looking forward to planning um events that we may look at and have regular you know bike rides out of the store clinics and things like that to kind of keep that momentum going to keep everyone educated uh, about rides uh, and you know their bikes if especially if you just purchase a bike and how to best to maintain it and you know what happens if you get a flat or things like that things that you can easily do um, that make seem a little bit intimidating but that we're here to help you um, and of course even if you have a major you know uh, equipment failure or something you don't feel comfortable we do have a uh, service area there that you know and a, and a shop manager there that will take care of your bike and uh, will be able to service that uh, as well so uh, definitely something exciting and uh, you know I'm pumped about it and looking at some of the other things especially when we start getting into winter and when most people aren't really um, you know pumped to go ride in the cold and we start thinking about well how do i stay fit how do i keep in shape um you know indoors um so it'll be interesting to start diving deeper into bike trainers and and the smart trainers uh, because i know i'm interested in that i am looking to purchase uh one for myself this winter so i can stay in shape Right on. And we know no rest. The fact that you even brought winter up is a little bit scary, despite the fact we're still in 90 degree temperatures. Doesn't seem like it's going to be here anytime soon, but it'll be here before you know it. In fact, one of the things that we are headlong, it seems like Labor Day weekend, before you know it, we know no rest. Most of you already know. In fact, hopefully are even already signed up for this year's Big Peach Sizzler. If you're not familiar with that, you'll find a link in our show notes. Check it out. There's a 10K and a 5K distance. It covers three communities we love dearly among many in the Atlanta area where that is absolutely true. Chambly, Brookhaven, and Buckhead, one of the best racing routes in all of local racing. Check it out, even if you're not racing it, being with your friends or family or those who you just enjoy spending holidays with. What a great way to kick off Labor Day. It does occur on that Monday. We'll be doing some fun things over the weekend. Also, D2, as you all know, we don't have a date yet, but we're getting all kinds of inquiries. So just to confirm, it is going to happen. Our new store in Cartersville, Georgia, will be open sometime around Labor Day. We're going to say Labor Day-esque whether it is a week or two before or a week or two after, I think we can say it's ish relative to Labor Day. Yeah, I mean, it, with anything, as anyone knows, with timelines, especially when you're building something, there are delays or things that happen. So it's it's a very fluid, um, but we know that's going to happen here. Um, you know, very quickly we're moving that direction. So it'll be exciting to open up our eighth location in an area, you know, just north of and uh, of 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 most of the metro Atlanta area, but a huge community. I think where um, there's a lot of runners that maybe feel like they've been underserved, and and now we'll be there to help them out. 
Bartow County, here we come. We have had the good fortune of connecting with you where we are. Now we are coming to where you are. Certainly looking forward to that. D2 also looking forward to another great episode in just two weeks. For now, we will bid you adieu, but it will not be long. The fortnight will pass as quickly as what it seems this summer has. But as we say always, as we certainly always mean, in the meantime, we will tell you what we think about all the time, and that is your best miles being those covered on foot. So long, everybody.